Hey, Chris, Adam, Rachel, how are you guys? It's been so long. Hey, man. We just wanted to, uh, you know, check on you. Yeah, ever since we finished Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute, you've kind of gone MIA. Yeah, what have you uh, been up to? Oh, man, I've been so busy. I, I started rereading the Turtle comics, and, and I got the TMNT 90 movie score on vinyl, and I've been listening to that, like, nonstop. I watched 190 episodes of the 80s cartoon, the entire Nick series, beat the arcade game, beat the NES game, and Turtles in Time, like, three times each, watched the 2007 CGI movie, and watched Turtles 90 again, like, four more times. Oh, God. Dude, y you need to take a break. I, I even watched both Michael Bay movies. Again. Oh, oh no. God. Ugh. God, guys, he's gone off the rails. I mean, truth be told, I've kind of felt a little directionless since the whole minute a day thing ended. Guys, guys, we need to help him. He's falling apart. He needs structure, and I think there's only one way to do it. Oh, please don't say it. We, we have, have to, to do, do Turtles, too. A minute at a time. I love this plan. I'm glad to be a part of it. Hey, hey, what are you guys whispering about? It's okay, Scott. We're here to help you. We're going to do The Secret of the Ooze a minute at a time. Think of it as like your daily dose of turtle therapy. It's like a sequel about the sequel. You might even say it'd be our... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Second time around. I love you guys. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Minute Season 2, a podcast discussing the secret of the ooze, one minute at a time. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Kawa Sequelbunga! Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Cher from the film Clueless, and joining the discussion is returning guest Virginia McAllister. Welcome, Hello. Virginia. <laughs> Hello. Very glad to have you. Thank you. Uh, and for anyone who is unfamiliar, Clueless is a 1995 film that was written and directed by Amy Heckerling. The film tells the story of Cher, a wealthy teenager in Beverly Hills who tries to help her friends love lives even if she can't figure out her own. And it starred Alicia Silverstone as Cher, Stacey Dash as Dion, Brittany Murphy as Ty, Paul Rudd as Josh, as well as some great performances from Dan Hedaya, Wallace Shawn, and Donald Faison. I just want to mention those. This It was a really strong cast in this film. It was. It was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, Virginia, do you remember when you first saw Clueless? Like, did you see it in the theater? Do you remember? Or I was trying to remember because it came out in 1995, which is when I graduated high school. So it came out right as I was, you know, kind of right. exiting high school. So it was very much for me as a target audience. So I don't remember, though, if I saw it in the theater or as soon as it came out on video. Yeah. But, you know, it was... Within that time frame, it wasn't long after it came out. I'm I pretty think. sure I saw your VHS copy of Clueless was yeah. the first time I saw it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I saw it right around the time that it came out, though. Yes, because for, for any listeners who don't know, Virginia's my sister. So when she had a VHS copy, I had access to that VHS copy uh, yes. of Clueless. Um, and I remember it being around, like, but I, I don't remember it, like, in 95, I would have been, like, 13. So it was, like, a little... 
like when it, when it first came out, that wouldn't have been quite my my age group, right? That would have been right. interested in it. So I just kind of remember it being a thing, not so much as it was my thing, um, just by being a few years off, I think. But I saw it a couple years after it was out, I'm sure, um, on, on that VHS. Uh, but when I was looking at trivia, I was surprised how long a tail its influence is. Like it, uh, it came out in 95, and there's so much that's still going on with it that I wasn't really expecting when I started to poke around this. Um, so it was, it was, I, I think it was popular at the time, uh, but certainly it's, it's impact as kind of cast a shadow, um, which a lot of films that, you know, come and go with the kind of box office impact it had. You, you never think about them again, <laughs> like maybe like 20 yeah. years later, like, Oh, that movie did exist. And I think clueless has broken beyond that into kind of a cult favorite. And then also, um, as we get into the trivia, you'll see some of the other stuff that has come about it. Um, so the film is loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. And I would say not as loosely as say, Oh brother, where art thou? And the Odyssey, when they claimed that was an adaptation, that's a really loose adaptation, but yes. it's more loosely than like Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, where they just say, we're just updating the setting some, but we're still, still sticking to the original text. This right. is like in between those yeah. <laughs> you know, levels. Yeah. Um, it grossed $56 million at the box office, which was, uh, which with its fairly small budget made it a very profitable film for the studio. And it had a 79% re- positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Clueless was included in Entertainment Weekly's 2008 list of new classics. And also in 2008, they did a list of the best comedies of the last 25 years. And they included uh, Clueless on that list. And I, was not expecting this at all, but um, you remember when AFI was doing 100 years and 100 mm-hmm. whatever lists? Yes. Um, they also, uh, Clueless didn't make the list, but they did include lists of like runners up or also considered. And um, Clueless was in the uh, also considered for 100 years, 100 laughs. And the, the quote, as if <laughs> just that <laughs> was a nominee for its 100 years, 100 quotes list. <laughs> This movie is extremely quotable. Um, yes. I, I don't think I remembered how much of the dialogue is just these kind of witty one-liners that just come at you. Um, but there's a lot there, and it's it makes it a very fun viewing experience. It's been a it, it had been years since I watched this, um, and so coming back to it, it was kind of like, oh, this this actually holds up pretty well. I thought it held up very well. I was surprised because I the same. I hadn't watched it in years and watched it to prepare for this and. I was really surprised pleasantly by how well it held up. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about its kind of cultural impact, there was a TV show spinoff in 1996, so right away. Um, I'm thinking that was on either UPN or WB back, or no, well, yeah, it was the WB network, and then those two combined, right, into something else? I can't Yeah, remember. I, were... I vaguely remember <laughs> that there was a TV show. I don't think I ever watched it because it didn't have a lot of the original cast yeah. come back. I, th- I it, think some I of them. I remember that it existed. Like maybe, I think Brittany Murphy may have been on it, but yeah. not Alicia Silverstone and Paul yeah. Rudd. Um, there were a series of books that were done in the mid 90s um, based in the world of clueless uh there last year i saw there was uh, a company did some comic book stories set in the world yeah. of clueless um and also this year a stage musical premiered off broadway and from what i read it looked like it was being workshopped for a broadway premiere and this version of it had dove cameron as share and um because i have a 10-year-old daughter. I know Dove Cameron from the Descendants franchise on Disney. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'm the same. I have a nine-year-old daughter, so Dove Cameron is a household name. Yes. Um, And also, in 2015, a book, Oral History of Clueless, was published. So it seems like there must still be 
like fan engagement for a for an actual book to get greenlit. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like uh, retrospective web articles, like those happen for everything. You know, twenty years later, but for a full book to be published, that's a lot. That's a big commitment. Um, so I think there must still be um, a fairly large fan base for this. And in 2018, Paramount announced plans to remake the film. Though there's been, I haven't seen any official word on like what stage of development that is. They just said this okay. is something we're gonna be working on. Um, and Virginia, you mentioned right before we started recording, the cast of Clueless could have been very different than what we got. Um, what were some of the names that you yeah, saw? Yeah, I, when I was reading about it, I saw a few, um, Reese Witherspoon, of course, for Cher, which I think anyone who seemed like Legally Blonde could easily interchange those two, but also Angelina Jolie, I saw her name, um... I saw, uh, let's see, Paul Rudd actually went out for different roles in the movie. So Murray and Elton and Christian, Christian. I think basically everybody but Josh. And they got the main male. And he got Josh and um, Jeremy Renner for Christian. Uh I saw his name, Ben Affleck, but I'm not, I I I guess Josh. I saw him as Josh, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know for sure. But it was kind of like a... Who's who? And Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. um, who, of course, was Emma in the movie adaptation of Emma. Which so was that, just a little bit later, right? A yeah. couple years later. So that would have been fun if, if it had been Gwyneth Paltrow. But. Um, and you also, in preparation for this, you went and rewatched Emma, which it's been a while since I've... Um, I'm trying to remember. On the podcast, Andrew, did we ever do Emma? I, we've done a lot of Jane Austen. So. You've done Pride and Prejudice. And Sense and Sensibility. Sense and, Sensibility. and the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. But I don't think we've done uh, Emma. It's been a while since I've seen the movie or the book. So how close, like, like I, I joked that it was kind of in between a brother where art now or like a, a, a updating of Shakespeare. What, what are some of the elements that are being borrowed from Emma for this? Obviously, there's the matchmaking element of, you know, the matchmaker who can't figure out her own. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I was surprised by there was more in common than not mm-hmm. when I watch, you know, and I even watching Clueless, there were a lot of things that were kind of coming back to me because uh-huh. it had also been a while since I had read or watched uh-huh. Emma. Um, but, you know, even as I watched Clueless, there was enough there that I could say, oh, this is the, you know, like there in in Emma, there's a Mr. Elton. He's uh-huh. he's the um, the pastor, the priest. I can't remember the, the religious title, but, you know, he's there as someone she's trying to match him with someone else but really he's in love with her uh-huh. just like Elton right. and you know the character Elton um so most of the characters have a parallel okay in Emma there's like a parallel character in Emma mm-hmm. um and a lot of the overall storyline was okay. actually pretty similar so oh well, and then uh, so besides being a loose adaptation of Emma this is also a famous film for like fairly accurately capturing a lot of the style and language of mid nineties teens, particularly in, um, in Southern California and Ackerling famously like went to high schools and just, uh, walked the halls with administrators, but was really just listening to teenagers and mm-hmm. how they talked and lifted some of the dialogue. Like the famous as if is something she overheard, um, it, from high school students, mm-hmm. um, and just put it into the screenplay yeah. <laughs> uh, for this. And some of the, like the, there's, um, little like tiny vignettes in the film where it's like, we're just having a random scene about boys fashions where you just see the mid 90 like skater boys with their pants loose around their knees. <laughs> yeah. And you have a share voiceover just saying like, I don't understand what is supposed to be attractive about this. And right. I just well, like watching it as, cause I, I mean, I was 13 when this film came out. Like I remember those fashions as part of like my adolescence, like what yeah. I saw around me at school. And it was just really funny to see that like in this now almost 
what 25 year old film um you know represented um you know by, by capturing that and i thought oh yep that that was a thing <laughs> that was a thing that was part of boys fashion for some reason i don't know why yeah uh, all right. So uh, before we get into the full summary of this film, we want to thank you listeners for downloading this episode. And we want to thank those of you, especially who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now, the uh, full summary for this, which was one of the easier summaries to write, actually, because it's it's a very straightforward linear plot, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there's uh, because it is, I think, this adaptation of Emma. Like, there's just um, a familiarity to a lot of the beats that happen. So Cher is a popular rich student at Beverly Hills High School. At a Beverly Hills High School. I can't remember the name of the school, I guess. So I shouldn't say Beverly Hills High School. But she does her best to take care of her widower father, Father Mel, who is, like, he's a powerful lawyer. It's not like he's inept. It's just he forgets to, like, eat. <laughs> and, yeah. and eat healthily and, and, you know, take his medicine. And she's always on top of that. Her best friend, Dion, is dating a boy named Murray, though they fight a lot. Uh, Cher gets her report card from school, but considers her low grades a starting offer and attempts to negotiate for better grades. She is successful with all of her teachers except her debate teacher, Mr. Hall, who is Wallace Shawn. And it is always a delight to see Wallace Shawn. That man's delivery is never not comedic. <laughs> like, yeah. just just keep... If you need a, a side character, always, like, he should be in your Rolodex casting directors. Like, is Wallace Shawn available? Yeah. Him or Stephen Tobolowski. <laughs> I think would be great. Uh, Cher decides that if Mr. Hall, her teacher, had a happy love life, he'd be a more relaxed grader. So she she manipulates Mr. Hall and another teacher, Miss Geist, into falling in love. Um, the son of one of Mel's ex-wives, Josh, comes to stay when he wants to get away from her, his mom and her new husband. Uh, and he's also starting college and he wants to go to law school. So he views working with Mel as good training. So he wants to hang out with Mel and see what being a lawyer is like. I um, mean, I liked Mel's statement about this because Cher at one point was like, why is he coming? And he's like, I divorced the, I, I divorced the, the mother, not the child. Right. <laughs> you know, like this is my child, but he was yeah. part of my family uh, and he's still part of my family. And I, I like that attitude. Um, the son of one, uh, oh, sorry, I read that part. So a new girl named Ty moves into school and Cher is feeling good about herself after helping Mr. Hall and Miss Geist get together. And she wants to help Ty become more popular. Ty seems attracted to a stoner skateboarder named Travis, but Cher wants to steer her towards a preppy boy named Elton. Um, Josh tells Cher that she's turning Ty, who when we first met her was somewhat kind of a grungy down to earth artist into, uh, and Josh warns that she's turning her into a superficial socialite, even like all the plaids. All the all the flannel yes. plaid, like oh yep, that's that's mid nineties. <laughs> There's yeah. just a lot that really felt accurate uh, to that time period. Um, at a house party, Ty is knocked unconscious by a shoe. I'm just gonna leave it at that. And Cher um, goes and convinces Elton that he needs to help her. But when it's time to go home, Elton kind of manipulates things so that Ty gets a different ride home and he can take Cher home. When he stops the car to try and put the moves on her, Cher rejects him and he makes her get out of his car. And then Cher is mugged at gunpoint and she calls Josh to pick her up. On the way home, Cher says that she knows her dad and people from his law firm have been working late on a case and they're at her house, so they should stop and pick up some takeout food for them. Uh, Cher is interested in a new boy at school named Christian. Christian takes Cher to a dance and Josh is a bit jealous uh, and shows up uh, there after telling Mel that he's going to go keep an eye on Cher and make sure that she's okay. Uh, Cher and Christian are dancing when she notices that her friend Ty is awkwardly alone at a dance. 
been there. Uh, Josh, <laughs> Josh, who is there to kind of keep an eye on Cher, he notices Ty uh, is is lonely, and he goes and dances with her. Now, Cher invites Christian over and tries to seduce him, but he politely rebuffs her attempts. The next day, Cher is riding with Dion and Murray, uh, and Murray's helping Dion with her student driving. <laughs> and oh, the three-way scene. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's so great. <laughs> but Cher and Dion are wondering why Christian wasn't interested in Cher. And Murray bursts out laughing and says, Christian is gay, guys. <laughs> and this is so surprising to Dion that she accidentally drives onto the interstate, causing some great slap, sla- slapstick driving. Like, slapstick comedy is usually like physical comedy with your body. They do slapstick driving comedy on the interstate, and it is great. Uh, Cher remains friends with Christian, and at the mall, Cher and Christian see Ty talking with a couple look like stoner guys again <laughs> she has a type i guess um and they uh goofing around they tip her backwards over the edge of a balcony which freaks her out because if they drop her she will be severely injured so christian runs over and pulls her back and chews out the guys um and at school ty becomes a bit of a celebrity as rumors that a gang tried to kill her at the mall <laughs> cause her to become more popular than Cher. um distracted by everything that's happening in her social life Cher fails her driving test badly at home um Ty uh, confesses to Cher that she has a little bit of a crush on Josh because Josh rescued her at the dance uh, when he came over and danced with her. And this makes Cher realize she's jealous of that very idea. She had never thought of Josh that way, but hearing Ty say it makes her start thinking of Josh that way. Uh, Cher throws herself into charitable causes to try and impress Josh, which she's sort of competent at. Uh, she has enthusiasm <laughs> for charitable causes, let's say. Uh, and Ty realizes she's not really into Josh. She actually likes the skateboarder Travis. After trying to help her dad out with his case, an associate of Mel's uh, chews Cher out uh, when he realizes that Cher has sorted some of the papers incorrectly. Josh defends Cher and uh, uh, then the lawyer storms off, and Josh and Cher talk, and then they share a kiss. In the final scene of the film, it is at Mr. Hall and Miss Geist's wedding. And Cher and Josh are there, and uh, Dion and Murray are there, and Ty and Travis are all attending. And then the bouquet is thrown, and Cher catches it, and the credits roll. The end. Well done. So yeah, like, uh, your coupling farce updated to mid-90s uh, Southern California high school. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that I want to get out of the way immediately as a point of discussion and i don't know if this is something that just was less on the radar in the 90s or was like more acceptable as a plot point but the idea of the, like this college student who is attracted to this high school student feels very icky and i think the film su- successfully navigates that um it doesn't make you feel icky at any point as you see their relationship um but just when you see that on paper i think now red flags are flying <laughs> in any story conference when you're breaking stuff down um some ways that they uh, make it less uh icky i think is by clearly stating Cher is a virgin and there's no implication that that changes by the end of the film um and uh also there's just something that's kind of sweetly innocent about paul rudd's performance mm-hmm. that doesn't make it feel stalkerish or cre- you know like a creepy older guy at all yeah. um in, in that um and so I'm, I'm wondering if they do do an update is that one of the plot points that's going to have to be tweaked uh in 2020 you know or 2021 if a new version of clueless comes out yeah that's interesting to think about i don't know because that's a major plot point of emma mm-hmm. like that's a and that was something i had kind of forgotten until i went back and watched the remake but in emma um he is i think they say at one point 16 years his yeah. Her senior. <laughs> you know, and she's like 22, which uh-huh. makes him 38. Yeah. So it's a real, I mean, but granted, she's also 22. Yeah. So it, there's it a little makes more agency little, that yeah, feels. Yeah, a little 
more okay. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, but but that is a major plot point is that he is significantly yeah. her senior and that's part of why she doesn't like see him in mm-hmm. a romantic way, you know, and so um yeah, it would be interesting in a remake if they tried to do a w- I think that's why they had Paul Rudd's characters, Josh, as, you know, at least in college, where she's still in high school, just uh-huh. to show there's, an there's age still gap. an age gap. There's, yeah. you know, and therefore, a difference in maturity, because that's also part of the point, is that he sees himself as more mature and more of, like, a a guide to her, to help her overcome her cluelessness. Right. He sees, you know, uh, right. initially, he feels, it's very much like a mentor-mentee yeah. relationship that yeah. they seem to have, where he's like, you need to stop watching cartoons, start watching the news. Right. Um, and he, you, we do get, I think, really good moments for her to show that there's substance beneath the cluelessness, um, and that there is, um, you know, an intelligence that maybe she hasn't used to her full advantage yeah. at times, but it's, but it's there and he, and he gets to see that that's there. So you understand what he's seeing in her. But yeah, that whole idea, it's, it's something I, like even just aging her up a couple years, I think, yeah. um, would, would help like, cause, it's, cause the driving test is such a big plot point of the movie. It, yeah. it like really drives home unforgettably. This is a 16 year old. Right. Um, and that does feel a little awkward. <laughs> yeah. I guess they could do it if, you know, maybe they had, her in college rather than high school or yeah. something, you know, just something that ages. Yeah, like he's Emma, a professional now. You know, the Emma uh-huh. role yeah. a little bit more and so that it doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that potential issue that we're yeah. running into here. But, but I mean, I have to, like, I don't remember ever <clears throat> the times I watched this before, I don't remember ever being like put off by that. No. You know, at all. So, so I think it does successfully no. navigate it. Because like you said, Josh, uh, yeah, Paul Rudd's performance is so innocent in mm-hmm. a way and not, yeah, uh, not in any way, you know, where you would think, oh, he's just trying to sleep with her or yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. You know, it's it seems very innocent well, and oh. affectionate. And, and also yeah. the moments when they make him, like, like in, in his facial acting and the editing, like you see he's like seeing that there's more there it's never like oh she's beautiful it's oh she's she's smarter than she acts oh there's more depth to her character she does want to be a better person like she's trying to evolve and change that's what makes her attracted to her not that she's a beautiful 16 year old right and and if it had ever just been like oh she's kind of hot that would have been like oh Oh, whoa whoa no no (laughs) no this is let's not go there (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i so i think there so those must have been deliberate moves to remove some of that and i think it it works Mm -hmm. um I agree. In that. Um, the, uh, yeah, I, um, I wanted to dig into some of those moments for Sherrick because, like, uh, the movie's called Clueless. Clearly, she is portrayed as a ditz at times. Um, and, and kind of, uh, I mean, you mentioned, like, the Reese Witherspoon, the Legally Blonde. Like, the, the ditz who has a lot more going on um, right. underneath is um, a trope mm-hmm. <laughs> that we see. Um, and I liked the some of the moments that we get for Cher's character development like in the car when um the college student I did not remember the scene at all but the college uh, that you see Josh is with another college student mm-hmm. and she quotes Hamlet and when she said it, I'm like that wasn't Hamlet that's Hamlet that's Polonius I didn't remember the scene at all and yeah. um Cher corrects her and says that's not Hamlet. Do you remember exactly how she puts it? Wait, wait, <laughs> wait, wait I Sharon. have that quote somewhere in here. Hold on. <laughs> I can find it. Um yeah, I have a list of of quotes from Clueless because there's so many just utterly fantastic quotes from the movie that I had forgotten. Um let's see. There we go. It's right there. Okay, she said uh her name is Heather, the the friend of Josh's. 
<clears throat> and she says, it's just like Hamlet said, to thine own self be, sh- be true. Cher says, Hamlet didn't say that. Heather, I think I remember Hamlet accurately. Cher, well, I remember Mel Gibson accurately, and he didn't say that. <laughs> that Polonius guy did. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it, like, manages to simultaneously say, she has a good memory. She's right. smart, but also, like, she's not studying Hamlet, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know? She processes it through her own lens. Of, <laughs> you know, which, you know, I mean, it also, that might be one of those lines that, you know, today doesn't oh, yeah, really yeah. fly, the yeah. reference to A Mel Gibson re- reference. But <laughs> I remember Mel Gibson's Hamlet in high school, and that was, like, the epitome of you know, hotness in Shakespeare and was Mel Gibson. And uh-huh. Yeah, I think it was, was it one of your English teachers? Somebody's English teacher had a poster of, I think it was Mel Gibson as Hamlet and a couple others and, and mom said, oh, or our mom went in for a parent-teacher conference and said, you know, oh, are you a, a Shakespeare fan? And she said, no, I'm a Mel Gibson fan. <laughs> <laughs> this gets me through the day. That sounds so, like it could have been Mrs. Gessel, but I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was that time yeah. period, uh-huh. right? When yeah. we were in high school and Mel Gibson was, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Hollywood leading man right, and he did exactly. the Hamlet film. Yeah. Um, so this yeah. is very... Very much taken out of, you know, for me, it's very familiar to high school. Uh-huh. Like, this is something that definitely would have been said or quoted <laughs> or things like that. So. Um, are there any of the other of those moments for Cher's development that kind of stood out to you in the film? Um, yeah. Uh, yes, it's trying to narrow down. <laughs> I, I mean, I think what stood out to me, actually, as I rewatched it was the idea that, you know, while they certainly are poking fun at her cluelessness but we all have a level of cluelessness about ourselves Mm -hmm. you know and that's what like i got out of her development was her becoming more self-aware and kind of seeing outside of herself Mm -hmm. and outside of that lens to you know where she realizes oh i feel good setting this couple up together it's not just about getting my grade up Mm mm-hmm I like seeing them happy. I feel good that I did this. And so, and you know, also, um, that. Ta- when she sees Ty and, uh, what's the stoner boy's name again? Oh, uh, Travis. Travis. When she yeah. sees them, oh, they really actually are happy together. And that yeah. makes, like, her, um, level of empathy increasing is part of the maturation. Yeah. Her ability to see, uh, join others and take joy in that. Uh, well, and helping out, I think helping out with the, uh, uh, what was it? The Pismo Beach disaster <laughs> fund or something like that. You know, and she's trying to, to gather, you know, the, all the, um, clothing and, and sports equipment. <laughs> and Travis brings in the, the bonds. Yeah, the drug paraphernalia. Yeah. And says, Where should I donate this? Just like a uh, household goods? <laughs> Kitchen? Something like that, you know. And, and uh, there's a scene where like, she's hauling out like a tennis racket and skis, and her dad's like, I don't think they need those. And she goes, They lost everything. I think that includes sports equipment. Right. <laughs> so, so just seeing those moments of her trying to get outside of herself Mm -hmm. and see the world around her because that's what helps her lose that cluelessness yeah you know as she does that but uh, but it's still um it's still true to share like the share we see at the beginning um like it's not such a transformation it's like who is this at the end it's like yes there's more maturation more self-awareness like you're saying but there's still like she's trying to donate sports equipment (laughs) which is maybe not the top priority for (laughs) most people a disaster (laughs) relief fund (laughs) yeah she's doing it in her own way just checking the time. We're at a half hour. Okay. <laughs> so we're good. Um, so if we were going to try and define 
this version of, uh, you know, this share, which, as we said, is really a version of Emma. Like, wh- what is it that we, we have as a character um, that are some of her defining attributes? Uh, <laughs> well, there's I, there really is kind of an innocence to her that's refreshing. I mean, and that's, you know, something you see in both in Emma and in Cher that for all their worldliness, like they're, they are socialites and they're kind of the center of their social circles, but there also is like an innocence yeah, to them. A like, like her not understanding that Christian is gay and, uh-huh. you know, and not even understanding what Murray is talking about at first. <laughs> yes. When he's trying to like get this point across <laughs> to her, you know, and, and so there is that, just that innocence. And well, even um, like for a lot of, high school like when you hear high school romance a lot of them are like sex comedies yeah and and she's a virgin and like there's one scene where ty and diana talk about sex and she doesn't quite understand what they're where they're talking about um and like this she's our eyes into southern california high school life um but like you're saying she still maintains that um you know, this, this, uh, kind of adolescence about her in, mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, the, she hasn't fully transitioned into adulthood. Right. Um, the way some of the characters around her have. Yeah. Um, and so that's, like you said, it's kind of refreshing to see that. You know? It is. It was, I, I thought it was like watching it. It was kind of a refreshing change of how a lot of teenage girls are presented, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I really appreciated that, that they presented like, her that she, way. She wants to look good, but it's not, it, it's not, it's not about sexuality, which right. is what a lot of presentations of uh, teenage girls are in, in a lot of media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think there is like an innate goodness, even if she doesn't know how to express it um, in her. Yeah. And that's one of the, one of her journeys is figuring out how to be better at expressing, you know, the, this goodness or this desire to help <laughs> others. Like she is a little too controlling of Ty <laughs> when, when Ty comes in and she changes her from the, you know, the flannel wearing, you know, artist girl into, uh, you know, the, the kind of ditzy socialite, socialite um, style. And then realizes that, well, I still want to be friends with you and you should just be yourself and you should be with mm-hmm. Travis. Like that is one of the, the changes that we see, but that initial kind of controllingness is it's it's not born out of manipulativeness. It's born out of a desire to to, to help. Right. I think she she thinks she knows better for Ty mm-hmm. and how to like elevate her socially rather than just getting to know Ty for who she is and appreciating some of those things. But she gets there in the end. Yes. So. Yeah. There's a transformation that we see, but right. um, I, I think it's important to identify that the motivation isn't as like in something like Mean Girls isn't about no. control yeah, or no. uh, or uh, you know demeaning you know other other people. Um, no. Which this oh I don't think about this one of those like this is a really interesting contrast with Mean Girls, where there's a lot of the similar. Uh, or, or, I mean, you can even throw in, like, high school music. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of commentary about the cliques of high school uh, and, like, figuring out your place and all the social movement that happens in high school is everyone's kind of pretending to be someone they're not to please people who don't know who they are. <laughs> you know, right. that's, that's kind of, like, one of the major themes there of adolescence. Um, but they all have very different tones and ways that they go about exploring those themes. Yeah. And I love her relationship with her father, mm-hmm. you know, and how she, you know, talking about that kind of, there is a goodness to her and you can see it and how she tries to take care of him. And even though he's so busy, you know, and they have some great interactions together <laughs> yeah. and, and she really wants to please him. Like, that's why she wants the good grades is really to show him I got straight A's and I'm, you know, she's really doing it to try to like please him and meet his expectations. So I, it, I thought that was fun just seeing their relationship and their yeah. reactions. It, it was, um, again, like a lot of, um, I think teen comedies when you have like the rich, the rich girl, 
um, like the relationship with the parents is either like completely absent or, or it's like semi abusive or, you know, all these mm-hmm. other things. And this was like, it was actually like a kind of a nice relationship to see on yeah. screen. Like, not perfect, uh, no. by, by any means. <laughs> uh, but like, he, he'd bring home, work home so that he could be around her. Like, yeah. you know, and, um, she was obviously like caring about his physical health and his mental health. Um, yeah. you know, so, uh, that, that's another like little tweak on some of the formula that you see in a lot of these kinds of films that was nice to see. And, uh, was the name the actor's name Hadea? Like he he was great as, as, as her dad. Yeah. He just has that tone of voice that he, like he could play a mobster. Yes, he could play yeah. a mobster in, in a lot of films. Yeah, but oh, he had what was the the, the line, line about the I have a forty five and a shovel and no one will miss you yes. or something yeah. when Christian comes to pick her up. Yeah, you know, and, you know, so you can see his his protectiveness of her too. Mm-hmm. You know, and that she's still kind of his little girl you know he knows she's growing up but Mm -hmm. she's still his little girl Mm -hmm. so i like that um are there any of the side characters you want to touch on oh uh well we've talked so i really like dion and Mm. (laughs) interestingly murray and just there i I mean while they you know kind of fight there's also there is a a strange sweetness to them at times that but that scene when she goes on the freeway is just so great when she you know the la freeway and the trucks are honking and she's yeah you know try just trying to make it out alive yeah it's it's a survival mode yeah so i think she's a great like side character and the actress is beautiful Mm -hmm. you know i i don't know that how much she's done since i don't recognize her from a lot but I remember being really struck by the acro- actress at the time. So I thought she was a great side, you know, kind of sidekick yeah. to Emma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wish that, um, they like developed that a little bit more, like, yeah. like their friendship. Yeah. Um, like I loved every scene they were in. I just kind of wish that you understood what their friendship was like a little bit more. Um, it's, uh, more like, okay, she's in the scene more than like you feel the bond between yeah. the two. Uh, and, uh, like you're saying, though, like I enjoyed all the scenes with her. <laughs> yeah. And she's one that I I think probably in most of the side characters, she's one that doesn't have quite as much of a direct parallel in Emma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, in Emma, she has a it's Miss Taylor and, and she's married at the very beginning of mm-hmm. the book slash movie. Um, and she's in a very happy marriage. So it's not like a it's it's not that Dion quite you know, translates into uh-huh. that role. Cause obviously her relationship with Murray is pretty, um, <laughs> <Immediately> <laughs> rock, fraught. Rocky <laughs> tons, but they have some great lines, you well, know, with then, each other. Then they so. also like in one of those vignettes where it's just like, here's a little slice of life scene. Right. You see them like sitting together at lunch and it's kind yeah. of like sweet high school romance, sweet. you know, yeah. sweethearts. Um, and, and it's like, Oh, there's something there. It's not just that they're fighting all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But you, and I, you get that sense, I think from some of those scenes of the idea that, all these kids are trying to play a role mm-hmm. when really deep down there's a goodness there to mm-hmm. most of them. And again, like, you know, in contrast to something like Mean Girls or some of the other, mm-hmm. you know, that it's just, it was refreshing to see something that underlying was very positive And, you know, that while they all might put on this facade based on the clothes they wear or the role they're uh-huh. trying to play, there's, you know, under underneath just this real 
sweetness and innocence and goodness to them. Yeah, like even the antagonist, I can't remember the character's name. Like she's not really evil. She's no. just she just sees that shares a little ditzy and is kind of coasting by and she's like, is anyone gonna call her on this? Guys, yeah. <laughs> is anyone teachers? <laughs> oh the the Haitian speech. Oh what was it? The Hadians? <laughs> the Hadians. She kept calling the Hadians. I think I read somewhere that um the Alicia Silverstone did not know how to pronounce it, and they actually kept it because they like the director just said keep it. It's great, you know, because it makes it more authentic to mm-hmm. to you know. A high school trying to speak like, up, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. speak above what their their knowledge base is, right? Yeah. So I thought, yeah, I love that that little monologue that she does, though. <laughs> Which I mean, we laugh because it's Haitians to Hadian, but we've all had words that we've only seen on the page that you yeah. say out loud for the first time and you do it phonetically. And you're like, oh, that's not right. No. <laughs> like, pretty... <laughs> or witnessed other people go through the same, you know. Yeah, and I was like, I, I tell them, I was like, never like worry about it. That means you've read. That means you're a reader. Uh, yeah. And and so don't be embarrassed. But uh, you know, if someone corrects you, don't you know, don't try. Yeah. And, like if you're ever correcting someone, like do it out of a place of love, like saying, hey, here's. Yeah. Here's thing. Like I remember, I, I may have shared it on the podcast before, but uh, reading the word epitome out loud and saying, that's funny, that has the same meaning as epitome. <gasps> you, know, that's, you know, just context clues. Why didn't they use the word epitome here? But I had already said the word epitome out loud, because right. that's what it looks like. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but I think I, uh, what you were saying, like, there is um, kind of this core goodness to all these characters yeah. that is really just nice <laughs> like like it makes yeah. you it makes you like them all and um like some high school movies like we've i i remember t- we talked about sing street which is a british boarding school and it's like oh that's a hellscape and <laughs> mean girls is like oh i don't want my daughter to go to high school like this one is like okay yeah. there there are idiots out there but these are good idiots <laughs> you yeah. know like they're not, they're not manipulative and, and awful to each other for the sake of being awful which is right. what a lot of media portrays like adolescence as you know the um lord of the flies <laughs> you know just in a, in a classroom <laughs> Yes. Uh, and and you, it kind of makes you worry for your children, like passing into it. And also, like looking back, it's like, yeah, there were jerks in high school, but I don't remember it that negatively, right? Uh, you know, my my own high school experience, and maybe I had a good, a good one, fortunately. Yeah. Um, but I, I think maybe a lot of the negative portrayals just go a little too far. And to see this one that has a lot of the drama that you expect, um, a lot of the conflict that you expect, but uh, but not. Like the conflict is often from misunderstandings and um, from good intentions that go awry instead of like someone who's only in it for themselves. Right. Like it's kind of nice to see that portrayed. I agree. Yeah. Well, and that probably comes from having, you know, a Jane Austen novel at the heart of, uh-huh. your, you know, that those are by and large kind of feel good stories. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's dealing with, yes, we all have issues and we all have our cluelessness or our prejudices or whatever, but. By and large, there's still, you know, if you get away from that or get beneath that, you find like the social the good intentions right, yeah. behind it. Or, you know, you just find this understanding of that person and why they are the way they yeah. are. So. I, and I I mean, just the way you phrase it, but you think like how well actually like the the facade of social customs of 18th or you know 1800s England right. translates into the facade of social customs of high school you know where yeah. everyone has these cliques that they're trying to fit into and uh, so much of it is performative like mm-hmm. this is the role that I'm trying to portray but what's yeah. what's actually underneath all that is um, where a lot of the best like character moments are going to come come it's out true yeah there are a lot of similarities now that I think about it between <laughs> like what parties you're invited to or what you know what clothes you wear or things like that I mean all of this even who you, who you're actually, who you're supposed to be seen talking to or allowed right. to talk to yeah I mean, I mean all of this is part of 
both stories, Mm -hmm. you know, so we really haven't evolved all that much, (laughs) (laughs) which that's one of my, in all my years of of teaching humanities and studying, you know, things is I've just come out with the idea that as, as human beings, we have not evolved one bit in however many years we've been on this planet, we haven't evolved, you know, it's the same things drive us, it's the same things It's always like the older us. generation complaining about the younger generation yeah, kids these no, days, no right? <laughs> yeah. But, it, but also, like, the opposite mm-hmm. where, like, people look around and they say, oh, we're going to hell in the hell handbasket. It's like, no, these have always been the issues that we're dealing yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. like, like, maybe uh, the, the specificity of the moment is different, but a lot of these issues are just kind of what humans are meant to be working out. It's just who we are, but yeah, but we really haven't evolved as a species. We have the same vices, the same virtues, mm-hmm. the same things drive us, you know, through all of the literature that I've studied and art I've studied and things like that. But yeah, we're no different. So, um, Any of the other characters that you want to make sure we touch on? We haven't really delved into Ty that much. Um... Yeah, she... I. I and I think that's I don't know how much there is to delve into because she really is there. I think more as kind of a prop to shares evolution mm-hmm. than her. She really doesn't change. Like her evolution, she kind is of begins and ends as as basically the, the same, same person. Like she has a transformation, you know? but then she kind of realizes I was happier yeah. in my own skin. Like I want to go back yeah. to to what I was, which is a form of evolution, right? Yeah. To to kind of give up the mask um, that she had thrust upon her, right? Yeah, so she, but she doesn't have, you know, much of a story arc in mm-hmm. terms of evolving as a character and things like that. Um, yeah. Let's see, Christian. Uh, I, I don't know. Who, I loved Christian. That, that actor, like, I, I looked, he hasn't done a whole lot, but he really nailed that kind of Luke Perry looking yes. role. I, I, I don't know if he was just cast to look like Luke, Luke Perry in the 90s, but, yeah. but he definitely did. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, no, I liked him. He was great. And, you know, again, has a very distinct parallel in Emma, you know, to this. In Emma, it was a new character that came in that was intended for her, mm-hmm. um, you know, but then ends up engaged to another woman. So, mm-hmm. you know, obviously yeah, a little a bit little. of a tweak, <laughs> but the idea being, you know, this is a potential love interest that has other interests, <laughs> you yeah. know, besides Cher. So, mm-hmm. but I loved his character. I thought he, and I loved that, that they showed Cher's acceptance of him. You know that they still they remain friends, friends. And, and they're hanging together now. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and they, they do... find the common interests that they have, right? You well, know, what and, fashion and, advice? You right. know? <laughs> so there was no sort of stigma towards him, and I I really appreciated that. You know, because uh-huh. in the '90s that wasn't always the case, and so yeah. I liked you know how they sh- how they portrayed that relationship, and even like when Murray is saying to share. He's gay. Like, a lot of, even, like, mainstream 90s sitcoms, like, he's gay. That becomes the punchline. It's like, someone is gay. The punchline was, you didn't know he was gay. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like your obliviousness is why we're going to have a laugh right now. Right. Yeah. Not that there's someone who's different uh, right. than us. Which, um, like, like um, I've been doing work on sitcoms. Like, you go back and watch some sitcoms from the 90s, and it's like, hmm, that... That joke is not landing as well in 2019. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of things from 90s sitcoms that couldn't be done today. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, I do want to just give another quick shout out to the teachers, uh, Wallace Shawn, and I, I don't know the actress who played Miss, Miss Geist, I can't remember, was the character's name. Yeah. But uh, just something about Wallace Shawn, like he's a captivating presence on screen. Uh, both his physicality and his voice. He's such a distinct voice, which is uh, perfect for, like, the, the kind of roles he gets capt- cast in. I don't know if he feels trapped to always be the kind of, like, exasperated mm-hmm. <laughs> authority figure. <laughs> but, boy, does he nail exasperated uh, authority figure so well. Yeah, you can abso- 
absolutely see him as a high school teacher, just in the tone of his voice with them. And, yeah. and the looks that he gave, like, during the debate, whenever <laughs> yeah. it cut to him, and he just had his head in his hands, and his eyes were just like, mm. <laughs> This is my life's work. <laughs> These kids right here. And, uh, like, she had the line of, uh, like, what, oh, what? On the Statue of Liberty, it does not say RSVP. Is that what it was or something? Yes. <laughs> With the, the Haiti monologue. The, yeah. the Hadians. And um, it just is like this eyebrow raise. Like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> There's some sense in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's um like that idea that there's some sense in there somewhere. That actually yeah. is a good description of, of Cher's character. Yeah. Like, there's there's some sense in there. It's just the presentation of it is often muddled and uh, like endearingly off <laughs> from, from what uh, you know, what an adult would be doing or uh, someone who was, who was a little more mature. But again, she's like, she's playing a 16 year old. You're allowed to be immature at 16. Yeah. Uh, the, and the film does a good job of showing that she is in the act of maturing. Yeah. Well, anything else about the film that stood out to you? Have we talked about, well, we talked about Josh just liking a you know, <laughs> high school student. I don't know that we talked about it much else. But but, but it was interesting, like, the with the 90 stereotypes. Like, he still fits yeah. into the mold of, like, the, the little more woke, liberal, like, eco-conservative, right. <laughs> uh, you know, reading reading Marx. I'm watching CNN. <laughs> yes. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I know what's going on. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but not to the point of, like, being grading. <laughs> no. Know? Yeah. No, I... And I yeah, I like their relationship. I like that I think she also loosened him up some, mm-hmm. you know, and like the scene where they're watching cartoons and, you know, and, and what was it, Ren and Stimpy, they're existential. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Know, like you know, but she kind of made him loosen up a little bit. And so you can see her influence on him just as much as his influence on her. Yeah. And uh, when every, like, the, it's it's that... um I can't remember where I saw it first, but like the, the chart of like dangerous information where like when you start to learn a little bit about a new subject and you start talking like you're an expert, that's when you're most dangerous. <laughs> like once you're actually an expert, you realize how little you know about any subject right. and you're less likely to speak pompously mm-hmm. um, <laughs> about it. And like at the beginning, he's kind of writing into that. Like yes. I'm, I'm being introduced to all these like college course philosophy ideas right. and you could see him becoming, you know, uh, yeah a really pompous person, but she yeah. pricks that pretty quickly and, yeah. and he needed it. Yeah. She kind of calls him out on his stuff too, uh-huh. you know? And so I like that, yeah. that they, they each can influence each other, you know, in a positive way and, and mm-hmm. help balance each other. Yeah. So, uh, anything else that you want to touch on? No. What, what they, think <laughs> I, th- I think I, I realized watching this is I think the nineties are an underutilized setting. Be- yes. Because there's so many, uh, like, like we, uh, the 80s fashion is always like a punchline. But mm-hmm. the 90s, you're just getting to the cusp of technology, but we don't, no one quite knows how to use technology correctly. So you can either have the cell phones help or just be absent from a story and it wouldn't be weird. Like now, right. um, like there was that meme going around of ruin an old movie with a cell phone. Like how many movies plots are gone as soon as people have cell phones with them right. where they can True. communicate immediately. If you just transport stuff back to the nineties, it makes sense that not everyone's going to have a cell phone and you're not going to communicate. So, so many like tensions can be reintroduced by just mm-hmm. using the nineties as a period piece, which like Captain Marvel did very successfully. I thought like it was, it was fun mm-hmm. the way Captain Marvel played, which, uh, the no doubt was in the Captain Marvel soundtrack in the nineties oh. and it was in, in Clueless as well. Yeah, and there was the the reference to the, you know, I I've got to go get my cranberry C D and <laughs> yes. you know, just it was fun yeah. to like that was my 
my yeah school, no doubt you know, no doubt and, and cranberries and so and, to like kind of go back to that and see all these fun references and realize I understood every single reference in there, you know, and uh-huh. that was kind of my high school experience. So, yeah, I yeah. I thought it was really fun to kind of go back to that and, mm-hmm. and you know, but also see it in a satirical way. And, yeah, because it was, so it was doing satire it, at the time. Remember like, it, like, it fondly, but at the other hand, you know. This film was satirizing like, the present. Yeah. You know, it was satirizing that moment yeah. like particularly with the fashions and stuff that they talked about um but the satire definitely still holds up and yeah uh like we we're saying like so many of these issues they're coming from this novel <laughs> you know emma mm-hmm. uh and they're just translating like all the social stuff to high school but be- I-, I think because there's that core of like these social things that do translate this doesn't feel like just an artifact of the 90s like no. like I, th- I think it's there's a reason it has that cult following and is still popular today uh because it still holds up like those issues even, maybe the boys aren't wearing his baggy pants <laughs> down, down around their knees fortunately actually <laughs> i just went through the airport a couple days oh, ago it's and, back oh my <laughs> goodness back. you were still seeing things you never wanted to see so, <laughs> um yeah. But but like the I think these issues are still relevant, you know yeah. the the kind of figuring out your own life, wanting to help others, but not but being a bit clumsy about it, like all oh, that still works. Well, and there I I like that there were a lot of references that did show she does pay attention in school. You know, there's a reference to Botticelli at one point, and, uh-huh. and uh, I think a reference to Monet and you know Shakespeare, and so they they still interweave these, you know, kind of like. You need to pay attention and understand these <laughs> cultural references, you know, and interweaving it with the pop cultural references. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that. I yeah. And there's a, a casualness to dropping both of those, like right. the high culture yeah. and the pop culture. Like Cher is able to do all right. of that. She really pulls that off. Yeah. Well. And, and as an audience member, like some of the jokes get missed if you don't know the pop culture, but also some of the jokes get missed if you don't know the high culture, right. um, you know, punchlines that are coming through. Um, and I think that's some of the best kind of writing yeah. is where, um, like Frazier would do this really successfully where like you can get it, that a joke has happened and you can get enough of the joke that it's, you, you sense the humor. Mm-hmm. But if you understand like the exact opera that's being referenced, like there's, right. a, there's another layer of humor, yes. uh, you know, that's, that's coming out underneath it. Um, and I think this does that pretty successfully. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Virginia, for coming on to talk about Clueless. And I think that's going to wrap up this episode. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out uh, episode number 84, when we talked about Lizzie Bennet Diaries, or episode number 96 when we talked about Sense and Sensibility. And uh, we also referenced that we have done Mean Girls and High School Musical and Sing Street. Uh, those all, uh, you know, you can search in the back catalog and see um, some other high school set stories. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod and at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. And joining the discussion is returning guest, Virginia McAllister. Welcome, Virginia. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Not welcome.